0: Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. First of all, I wanted to say how grateful I am that you guys have been sending me your feedbacks, your questions. Keep them coming. If you want to send me a question, please send me at drmoali at sexologypodcast.com. I'll try to get back to you guys as soon as possible. It might take me a couple of weeks, but I make sure I'll answer every single email. The episode, the series I developed, this episode and the next one is in response to an email I received from our uh, one of our listeners. His name is Joe. Joe wrote, I find your show very helpful, especially working through a lot of my issues. I have noticed one thing not to be sexist or judgmental, just something I've noticed about the overall field. Healing is important and especially healing with women and the trauma they have gone through and usually how they overcome them. Usually issues due to male or parents Seldom is woman-to-woman interaction discussed. A huge thing I've noticed is that there is not many episodes on male psyche or male healing through the trauma we experience. Statistically, men and women have the same emotions. However, women are more likely to share and heal more. There is not much information in regards to male healing through trauma. Most podcasts and literature is female-based. Which is awesome and applicable in many ways, also, but still leaves a lot untouched. Maybe if you could do some segments on male base or specific for male healing through trauma, I think that would be awesome, especially for a field where 76% or the people who work in the field are women. I'm struggling and trying to grow through many emotional issues. Your podcast has helped a lot. I feel as if a more of a masculine approach can help bridge gaps for male listeners and also help female listeners understand the male psyche so much more. Thank you for all you do genuinely. Joe, thank you so much for sending me your feedback. I really appreciate it. One thing that's challenging, though, is that I'm a female. As you mentioned, many of the clinicians and psychologists and sex educators I know are female, and my narrative is based on a female narrative, and I'm looking at life through a lens that's I'm a cisgender, heterosexual woman that I, who grew up in a conservative community. I hear you. Thank you so much. Your feedback is very important. But again, that's how I see the world. I do my best to bring and invite many different kinds of guests. But sometimes it's challenging because there are not that many mail out there. I definitely send an email to couple of my therapist friends who are male to talk about sexual healing after trauma for men, but I dedicated this next two episodes to invite two male clinicians to talk to us about how they they see some of the issues that their clients are struggling with. So I, I'm trying to balance the perspective, but I bet it still comes up as a more female-based because of I'm a cisgender heterosexual female. I'll do my best though to make sure that I'm addressing some of the issues around male psyche. On that note, today our guest is Dr. Robert Glover. You might know him as a person who talks about nice guy syndrome. First, when I heard about his book, I was like, oh, God, no, I hope he's not, quote-unquote, curing all the nice guys. Because historically, I've been attracted to nice guys, not because they're offering me service. I think there is something about men who are having gentle souls or, or very sexy, But that's not what he talks about. So if you are curious to see what's a nice guy syndrome and how that might get in the way of you getting the sex that you want in the bedroom, stay tuned. Dr. Glover is an internationally recognized authority on the nice guy syndrome. He's a frequent guest on radio talk shows and has been featured in numerous local and national publications through his book, online classes, workshops, podcasts, blogs, consultation, and therapy groups. Dr. Glover has helped change the lives of countless men and women around the world. Dr. Glover is the creator of Dating Essentials for Men and the director of TPI University. Dr. Glover lives in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Here's my conversation with Dr. Robert Glover. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Robert Glover on our show. Robert, welcome to our show. Thank you for the invitation. It's good to be here. I am very excited for this conversation because when I initially saw your book title, I was like, Oh, no, because I'm really part of my erotic template. I really like guys who are thoughtful, and gentle and kind of very insightful. And my first initial reaction before reading the book was, Oh, God, he wants to change them. (laughs) (laughs) And I will no longer be interested in men. But I know that's not what your book about now that I read it. So you're talking about the nice guy syndrome. Can you tell us more about that? what it is.
1: Sure. Nice Guy Syndrome is, since the book's primarily written for men, but a lot of what I say applies to women as well. So you may have a lot of women listeners that can both relate to what I'm going to talk about in terms of their own personality type and relationship dynamics and with men that they have known. But I'll speak mainly in terms of the masculine of, of mm-hmm. men. So a nice guy, just in just a nutshell, is a guy because of internalized belief systems, usually beginning very early in childhood, believes he has to become what, uh, what he thinks other people want him to be in order to get approval and love and validation and get his needs met and hide whatever about him he believes might be create negative reactions, disapproval, punishment, abandonment. So basically, nice guys and the nice guy syndrome is a core belief that I'm not okay just as I am, so I better become something else and hide the things about me that I perceive to be not okay. And as a result, well, there's a lot of results of it, but but a few is that they're, they're, they're fundamentally inauthentic. Uh, They're often fundamentally dishonest, even while thinking they're pretty honest guys. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other problems that go with it. They're they're passive, they're pleasing, they're codependent, they're avoidant, conflict avoidant, and often real frustrated because they're not very good at getting their needs met.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's you're right that people pleasing is a challenge that I see both in men and women, and sometimes because of the societal expectation of men, some men get really good at it at learning to kind of undermine their needs, and no one can undermine their needs forever, so it comes up at this different places in the relationship that might not be appropriate. What are some of the areas that you see like in your consulting clients in your previous clients that nice guys were really struggling. Well, in the, getting
1: their needs met is probably one of the biggest ones because nice guys often have a fundamental belief system that is better if they're needless and wantless. They often believe well their needs are bad or they'll get a negative reaction for having needs. And again, this often goes back to internal, inaccurately internalizing emotional beliefs at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Often nice guys wanted to be different from their fathers or not not put a lot of demands on their, their parents like a, a, a different sibling did or maybe mom was depressed or dad's alcoholic and and they're trying to be that low maintenance kind mm-hmm. of guy but but as you said you know we, we can't displace our needs we're humans we've got needs and so what, co- what what nice guys tend to do is they create what i call three covert contracts mm-hmm. and and these are all if then propositions they're all kind of giving to get mm-hmm. and covert contract number 1 is if i'm a good guy then i'll be liked and loved, which, you know, not everybody's going to like or love us, and who determines if you're a good guy? Mm -hmm. But that, so there's that need to, okay, I got to be good. I got to do everything right, and then I'll be liked and loved. The second covert contract is, if I meet everyone else's needs without them having to ask, then they will meet my needs without me having to ask. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, nobody else knows about the contract. They don't know that, oh, I've been giving to you, and then you're supposed to give back to me without me ever having to ask. You should just read my mind. I try to read your mind. You should read my mind. So that doesn't work well. And as I already said, nice guys are terrible receivers because we think we're doing something wrong if we have needs. Mm -hmm. The third covert contract is, if I do everything right, I'll have a smooth, problem-free life. Mm -hmm. Of course, nobody does everything right, and life is not smooth or problem-free. So for nice guys, when these paradigms, this strategy, this roadmap isn't working, they tend to get really frustrated, really resentful, often very passive-aggressive, and not particularly nice. And as we've indicated, their needs don't get met. You know, their, their own internal bucket never gets filled. So they kind of walk the planet being really needy and mm-hmm. all the while thinking, well, but people will like me if I'm good and nice and do everything right. But that neediness almost makes them, you know, like, uh, get away. You know, <laughs> take, that, take that emotional hose away from me. I don't, I don't want you to hook that up and try to get your needs met.
0: How do they show up in the bedroom? The same way.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I, I say in my book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, that, you know, I, I think probably 80 to 90 percent of nice guys are the men I work with. I've been working with them for 25 years or more, and I'm a recovering nice guy. It tends to show up that most nice guys have issues around sex. It's not unusual because they're hiding things about them that mm-hmm. they don't want people to know, and they tend to think their needs and sex. Are things people react negatively to, mm-hmm. they hide a lot of their sexual desires, sexual impulses, and they tend to go underground. Mm-hmm. And as you know, anything we push underground is still going to get expressed. What we, what we repress, you know, gets expressed. So a lot of the men I work with have issues around pornography, mm-hmm. excessive masturbation, even around going to massage parlors, picking up prostitutes, and all of that's hidden and underground. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a big major problem. A lot of the men I work with feel really inadequate sexually, either because they feel physically inadequate or their size or because of maybe uh, different dysfunctions. They, they tend to feel pretty inadequate. Then there's another piece where we're most nice guys, because they get their validation by being good, mm-hmm. so often being a good lover is another dynamic mm-hmm. of, of nice guy sexuality, which actually tends to work against them and work mm-hmm. against their partners. Because when a guy is trying to be, quote, the good lover, he'll, that gets interpreted as how can I best please my partner? Mm-hmm. And if all of sex gets focused on pleasing partner, there, there's, there's some missing pieces to that. And, and, and what it tends to lead to is what I call repetitive, boring, do what worked last mm-hmm. time kind of sex. So the man thinks, well, I did this last time and that got her off. I'll do that again and that will get her off. And probably as most of your listeners know, the, the feminine, emotional sexual body, you know, does not like routine or sameness, right? You know, what turns a woman on can change every three seconds. Mm-hmm. And so for the guys thinking, well, this worked last time and the time before I'll do it again. And then what happens is the woman just starts kind of getting bored and losing interest in being sexual. And the guy's wondering what's wrong. I'm being a good lover. Why isn't that working? Mm-hmm. So there's a several, a lot of different ways this shows up in the bedroom.
0: Right. And I feel a big part of sexual pleasure and experience for many people is giving and receiving pleasure. So if you are kind of feeling like the pressure of like the my climax as a woman is the centerpiece of the uh, kind of the situation, then we're missing the part of the sex that's about and giving and receiving. The other piece that was very interesting about excessive kind of like out-of-control sexual behavior or people going to other places to get their needs met, it's interesting that I see the same parallel in my practice and people almost feel more comfortable paying to get their needs met versus kind of verbalizing it to their partner. So that's, I think, that's another interesting dynamic.
1: I call that safe sex. It's it's, it's, it's a metaphor because real sex with a real live human (laughs) being that, you know, that you're not paying or that it's not just on a video on your Mm -hmm. computer is messy, it's complicated, it's complex, it's unpredictable, but those are the things that make sex so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if sex was predictable and routine, we'd all lose interest in it in, in a big hurry. But a lot of the men I work with don't like messy, complicated, unpredictable. They kind of like smooth, predictable. I, I won't be able to count on it. And and you're right. You know, if, if for example, if the if the whole goal of, of sex between a nice guy and his partner is the woman's climax or multiple climaxes, mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of pressure on the woman and and the guy really isn't even present he's not in his body he's not conscious and the other side of that is that the partner is robbed of the opportunity of giving pleasure to the guy Mm -hmm. and you know I think most people get pleasure out of giving. Mm-hmm. And if it's always one way and the woman is just, you know, the pillow princess, she's going <laughs> to receive lie back blah blah blah, she's robbed of that pleasure of giving to the man and the man is robbed of the pleasure of receiving and feeling vulnerable and and having having experiences that aren't always in control.
0: Mm -hmm. And also the other piece of it, this pressure that it put on men when they're in a heterosexual relationship that I have to be able to perform. And that's where I see lots of times people have erectile dysfunctions because they're in this anxiety of, oh, God, I have to maintain erection because I want to make sure that she climaxes or she has multiple orgasms. And that on itself can create a kind of a negative cycle for the couples and for the person.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a personal story about this. That it was really kind of eye-opening and transformational for me. Mm-hmm. First of all, I, I tell men, I, I, I cringe when I hear the word sex and performance used in the <laughs> same sentence. We do that. We talk about sexual performance. But as soon as we turn sex into a performance, it goes to hell in a handbasket in a big hurry. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the personal story is that I got divorced from my second marriage, 2002, 2003, so several years ago and started dating in in my late forties to early fifties. And I, I didn't have a lot of dating experience. I've been married twice, mm-hmm. but my first two sexual partners in terms of intercourse for my first two wives. Mm-hmm. So I was going out there into this kind of brave new world mm-hmm. where like, you know, women were getting naked on first and second dates without <laughs> me even initiating, even propositioning me, I'm going, what planet have I landed on? But it triggered a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, around that thing, well, I, I gotta get an erection, gotta mm-hmm. keep an erection, I gotta give her, you know, mm-hmm. you know pleasure, I gotta, I gotta make sure she enjoys it, wants to keep coming back. And, and that created so much anxiety but of course, I struggled. And and actually, I even kind of avoided sexual opportunity because it was triggering so much anxiety. And I thought, well, you know, I, I, at that time, I was in an office with some psychiatrists. So I said, mm-hmm. well, what do you suggest? And, you know, should I take ED medication? Mm-hmm. Should I do this? Should I do that? And what I finally came to that was so transformational is I thought, wait a minute. I'll, I just need to take this pressure off. Mm-hmm. I need to take the pressure off of like, you know, that that erectile focused sex mm-hmm. of a performance oriented sex pleasing oriented sex, and so before I would be sexual with a new partner, I started having what I called the pre sex talk mm-hmm. and and I did a few things first i I'd, I'd, I'd say, okay. Clothes are about to come off. That's Mm -hmm. obvious. Let's first of all talk about protection, Mm -hmm. STDs, Mm -hmm. and unwanted pregnancy, fertility and unwanted Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I found that the women really just were grateful for that because those things are on their mind. That almost never gets talked about Mm -hmm. before two people have sex the first Mm -hmm. time. So that kind of relaxed the woman and relaxed me Mm -hmm. as well. And then I started telling women the first time I'd have sex with them, I'd say, listen, occasionally the first time I'm with a, a new partner, you know, like everybody else, I get anxious. I don't always get an erection, mm-hmm. don't always keep an erection. And I'd say, how about we just take that pressure off? Mm-hmm. Let's just get naked. Let's just explore each other's bodies mm-hmm. and let's just enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. And the women all go, yeah, yeah, I like that <laughs> idea. And by taking the pressure off that I've got to get and keep an erection, mm-hmm. I got to please her, I did just get to know her body <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, find out what gave her pleasure as she mm-hmm. got to know my body, found out what gave me pleasure with no focus on this got to have erection, got to have mm-hmm. penetration, got to have multiple orgasms. And it relaxed us so much that mother nature just took over and right. would work really well mm-hmm. because I took the pressure off of the performance.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that personal story, because I think that the communication is the key. And when people are kind of got stuck in this nice guy syndrome, they're not necessarily talking about that. For example, another situation that I see in my practice that with aging, sometimes people need more of a stimulation. And mm-hmm. it's just hard for them to kind of verbalize, this is what I want, this is what I need, because they have the same expectation of like, I, I got to be a sex machine being able to perform on demand. So I think in order to asking for what you need is a big part of getting, having good, good sexual experiences for both parties. Tell me about how can the nice guy change things in the bedroom and outside the bedroom?
1: Well, let's begin with outside the bedroom because I think what we do and how does this go? You know how how we do life says a lot about how we do sex, mm-hmm. and um, and so I focus a lot with men on on, on taking good care of themselves, mm-hmm. expanding their their emotional and social consciousness and connectedness, and. So, I work a lot with guys around making their needs a priority. You know, I I remember when I first kind of started working with nice guys and we talked with men about putting themselves first, making their needs a priority, just in general in life. Yeah, I'd get this deer in the head like, oh, no, you know, I can't do that. And and I I would give them a legal pad and say, well, let's just, let's make some, write down some ideas of things you can do to start taking better care of yourself Mm -hmm. and making your needs a priority. And men would just like stare at the legal pad. They don't know where to start. So a a practice that I've been doing for a while now, and I do this in in a lot of my workshops and seminars, it's real simple. And your people listening can do this easily. Get a piece of paper out and and maybe later on, get a big piece of paper out Mm and do it and and draw a stick figure in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. And that's you. And draw a little bucket maybe inside that we got this, you know, emotional, physical, sexual bucket that -hmm. needs to be filled for us to feel good and for us to give from the overflow to others. Then I'll have people draw a bunch of circles around the stick figure mm-hmm. with arrows going from the stick figure to the circles with the arrows pointing two directions, so going back and forth. Those circles are what I call cooperative reciprocal relationships. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are everything we have in our life in which we're giving to others, and they're giving to us. Mm-hmm. And this can be friends, can be family members. We got all these circles, and, and this could could be also um, professionals. They mm-hmm. could be organizations, could be a doctor, or a dentist, or an accountant. And I have the guys fill in those circles for what they have right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I've got two or three best friends. I've got a partner. I've got family members. I got my church. Uh, I've got my men's group. I got my personal trainer. I've got my dentist, and. The, the point of the arrows going both directions is that everybody in each one of these cooperative reciprocal systems gets something of value out of the, that relationship. You and I, even though we didn't know each other mm-hmm. until we started talking, have created a cooperative reciprocal mm-hmm. system. You and I are both getting something out of this. Mm-hmm. You and your listeners have cooperative reciprocal system. They're getting something out of it, and as you get something out of it. Now, in order to fill our bucket up, we need lots of these and lots of different kinds of them. So I begin by having guys do that, women do this too. The second page of this looks much the same. It's a stick figure with circles around it, mm-hmm. and this is where we're going to write in the cooperative reciprocal systems we need. Uh-huh. And, and a couple years ago, I was doing this in a workshop, and I wrote down, well, I need a different accountant, and I think I need a, a money Uh, advisor, financial advisor, and I think I need just a general life coach to help me work on some issues, and and I need more men friends, Mm -hmm. and so I I wrote those things down, Mm -hmm. and in a short amount of time, changed accountants, Mm -hmm. a money manager found me, Mm -hmm. a guy attending my workshop told me about a coach he'd been working Mm -hmm. with, and a men's program he was in, and I contacted that coach, that was two years ago, got a coach, and I've been in this men's program Mm -hmm. for two years, and now have a lot more guy friends in my Mm -hmm. life which that fills me up and makes Mm -hmm. me more complete. Mm -hmm. Now, the third part of the the homework, and it's all pretty simple, but I I, I encourage people to take the time to do it. Again, draw a figure, stick figure with circles outside. These are the current cooperative reciprocal relationships we have that either don't feel real cooperative or Mm -hmm. don't feel real reciprocal. Mm -hmm. And maybe these are some that we need to either renegotiate and or we need to just, cut off and remove. Mm -hmm. This could be relationships. In one case, it was me changing my accountant Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we keep a lot of these in our life that don't really serve us anymore, Mm -hmm. but out of neurotic guilt or habit, Mm -hmm. we keep them around. And all of these relationships, all of them, need constant maintenance, evaluation, upgrading, or just removing as we add new ones. Mm -hmm. So this is how I teach guys to get their needs met in life in general. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe if a man is full Mm -hmm. with this, say if he's a single guy and he's out there in the world, he's going to be very attractive Mm -hmm. to women in general. Women are going to find that really attractive. They don't tend to be attracted to kind of needy, insecure guys. Mm -hmm. If he's in a relationship, that'll make him much more attractive to his partner. It will make him much less needy or demanding or insecure. And, Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of the demands off of her that she's got to come fill him up, mm-hmm. that, you know, she doesn't have to do that. And if he's already used to getting his needs met in other general ways, it mm-hmm. will feel real normal and natural mm-hmm. as he creates this cooperative reciprocal relationship with a partner that he'll, he'll be really okay with getting his needs met from her as well. Mm-hmm. So by doing this out in real life, it then affects how we do it in the bedroom.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. And I, what a great, I love hands-on activities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always with a studious person. So I think that's that's great. But when you were talking about looking at relationships and negotiating things, I wonder if like, if you're someone who's like a nice guy, you never learn the arts of asking for what you need, because you feel if you're asking for something, you might lose a the relationship, then you will not be good at negotiating. What are some of the t- tips do you have around that?
1: Yeah, that, that's a, such a good question. And a lot of this goes back to, again, to the belief that I'm bad if I have needs or wants mm-hmm. and people are going to have a negative reaction. So, for example, a, a little assignment that I'll give guys that I work with sometimes is I'll say, okay, t- during the next 24 hours, whether this be at work, in public, in a, in, in a relationship with a partner, ask three people to do something for you that you can do yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, that kind of gets that tear-in-the-headlight look again. Oh. And it's just a practice to where, like, you know, if, if the guy's at work and somebody's going to the coffee machine, say, hey, on your, when you go, would you bring me a coffee back mm-hmm. as well? You know, he can get up and go get his own coffee, mm-hmm. but by asking, he has to feel his anxiety, oh. has to soothe himself, and has to let people give. Now, the two things that, 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 that I, I encourage men that have problems with asking and receiving is, number one, kind of like we've been talking about, consciously make their needs a priority. Mm-hmm. As they consciously create these cooperative reciprocal relationships, they get better at asking and they get better at receiving. And the other thing is to actually practice receiving. And mm-hmm. this is something that, that, that I had to do as an adult, an example is that I remember dating a woman. And when I started dating her, I, I met her because she sold me shoes at, at mm-hmm. a high-end retail place. And we started dating. And one time she came over to my apartment and I'd done my laundry, mm-hmm. but just kind of left it out on the couch, mm-hmm. you know, kind of nicely. And I was going to fold it and put it away. And she came in and started folding my clothes. <laughs> I said, wait, 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 stop. You know, even before like we talked or did anything, she just started huh? folding clothes. And she goes, I said, no, 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 stop. I didn't, you don't need to do that. And she said, Oh, I like doing this. She Mm. says, you know, I do it for a living. I'm good at it. I enjoy doing laundry and folding clothes. She goes, but I won't put them away. And I said, well, that's fine. And so I thought, and I even told her, I don't think I'm going to put them away either. I'm going to leave them in these nice little stacks (laughs) you're making. And I'll, I'll, as a reminder of, Oh, I feel loved. You know, somebody did something for me. Mm -hmm. And as a reminder." to let me practice receiving and let people give. And so after that, we kind of developed this little, mm. you know, practice together that when I do my laundry, I would take it out, put it on oh. my couch, and she'd come over, just start, before we did any more, <laughs> it, and that was hard. That was hard for me. She loved doing it. She liked giving to me, uh-huh. and then I would just soothe my anxiety, let uh-huh. her give, and then i just leave the little stacks out there because they're nice <laughs> and tidy, just like in you know, a department store, and, and go. Oh, I feel loved. I, oh I, God, I
0: need her in my right. life. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it, it, you know, I could fold my own clothes, but by right. letting her do it, it let the relationship go deeper. It let her give her gift, and it let me practice receiving.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you were talking about that, I was thinking about the case that I had many years ago. So there was this a man who was who was struggling with delayed ejaculation. He wasn't able to ejaculate during sex. It, we tried every evidence-based approaches. there, it continues to struggle. And I was then at a the sex therapy supervision. And my supervisor told me, like, you know, tell, tell him how good he is at asking favors and asking people to do things for him. And, and, like and then the other recommendation was, like, ask him to ask people to do things for him on kind of a regular basis. And as he practiced it more, the issue over time resolved. I, I'm, sh- I'm not sure if it was one-on-one, but it was interesting that that dynamic even showed up in the bedroom for him not being able to climax and ejaculate and experience a sexual pleasure.
1: Yeah, because that would be about him, and that mm-hmm. might make him feel like he's selfish. And this, as you know, this is all really unconscious, but mm-hmm. going back to, again, you know, how, how we do life says a lot about how we do sex. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if we can look at wherever we're stuck in life,
0: mm-hmm. frustrated,
1: having a repetitive issue, having any kind of problem, we can step back and look at a bigger picture. And they all, they generalize from one, one you mm-hmm. know, from one location to the other. You know, if we're getting stuck here, we're probably going to get stuck in the bedroom as well. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I like this whole tone of the conversation. It's a little bit counterintuitive that to have good sex, you got to get good at receiving. You got to mm-hmm. get good at letting people do you mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, how can I do my partner better? Right. It's a little right. bit of a, you know, kind of a, a paradoxical, you know, <laughs> act, but, yeah. but it's so powerful
0: mm mm-hmm. i and I love that you're talking about how we're doing things in bedroom impacts like shows up the same in the relationship, and I, that's why I tell all of my therapist' friends that they don't do sex therapy. definitely ask about sex because you learn a lot about their personality and how people are doing life, so I agree mm-hmm. with you on that. I noticed that we are toward the end of our time, and I want to make sure our listeners they know where to get a hold of you. What are some of the places that you you have the information about your workshops and all the great content you provide?
1: All right. The, the, the easiest place is go to drglover.com. That's just D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R.com. If they Google Robert Glover, if they Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I come up in all the top places, even ahead of Alice Cooper's Song, no more Mr. Nice guy. So, but drglover.com will point them wherever they want to go, to my workshops, my online classes, my podcasts, my books. So, it's a, it's a, good, a good way to find me.
0: Excellent. Guys, I leave uh, information and in the URLs on the show notes. So, if you guys are kind of driving and stuff, you can find it there. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. And it was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It was a blast talking to you as well.
0: All right. Have a good day. Thank you. I hope you guys found this conversation helpful. I agree with Robert that at times, sometimes people are using and unquote niceness as a way for them to not verbalize what they want. And what happens is they have this expectation that my partner somehow needs to anticipate my needs. And then I tell couples that I see my practice that your partner doesn't have the magic ball. They cannot see what you're thinking and they're not mind readers. So if you want your partner to meet your sexual needs, it's important as a first step for you to ask and be assertive about what you want. At the end, I also wanted to know if you haven't downloaded our checklist, the 101 thing that you can do to spice things up in your relationship definitely do so. Last week, I launched it for first time and I already got so many great feedback from you guys that you guys are finding it helpful. As I mentioned during previous episode, it's based on three levels. And I try to include something for anyone based on their level of adventureness and how how much they want to change things around in the bedroom. And if you're reviewing the list and you come up with the things that worked out for you and your partner, and you think it will be helpful for us to know, you can email it to me at sexology.com and I will include it in future lists. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and can't wait to talk to you next week.